All right, the book of Joshua tonight, Joshua chapter 1. It's great to be in church, isn't it? See, every time I'm up here, I always have this overwhelming feeling of panic as soon as I step up and I see everyone's faces. If you want to take that personally, please don't. I taught speech class in high school this past year, and I remember when pastor asked me, to teach speech, I said, I am the last person that needs to be teaching speech. I'm the last person to uh, get up and talk. Getting up in front of people and talking is not my forte, but uh, if the Lord calls you, then you can do it. So here we are. All right, enough small talk. Everyone to Joshua chapter 1, we're going to look at one verse to start off with. Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. The Bible says, Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of good courage, be not afraid, Neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. Um, the title of the message tonight is Courageous or Coward. Courageous or Coward. And I'll start by telling uh, an interesting story of my childhood. And I realize now that every time I get up to preach, I, I tell them myself because of my childhood. Um, but there was this one particular time, my brothers and I, we went to a... I'm not sure what to call it, a youth conference of sorts. Uh, it was kind of like a Christian boot camp where they taught us drills and they made us march in order and uh, learn how to shoot all of that stuff for a week. And it was a lot of fun. Uh, well, part of this quote unquote week long training was us having to kill and cook our own food. And so they released some guinea hens and we caught the guinea hens and we, you know, we rang their necks and we started cooking them over the fire. Well, the man who was there and running it, he was a Green Beret from Vietnam. So, of course, he was very uh, stern in the way he liked things, and he kept saying that we were cowards, I mean, all week long. And I got tired of being called a coward. And so he walks up to a group of us boys. I remember specifically it was my brother Corey and another uh, friend of ours, and we were all sharing our guinea hen because there wasn't enough guinea hens for everyone. So we, were, we three were sharing one over our fire. And he tells us, he says, now, boys, if you're a real man, Whenever you gut that guinea hen, you'll eat one of the guts. And so I remember my brother and the other friend, you know, they went straight for the liver because it was slimy and it could go down simple and easy. And I thought, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it all the way. And so I reached in there and I grabbed the heart and I threw it in my mouth. And I mean, it was like chewing on a rubber ducky. I mean, the blood was still pumping and there was no way I was chewing that. So finally, I just had to swallow it whole. And I remember I probably looked like a maniac smiling with blood dripping down my chin and I specifically remember uh, Brother Vineyard coming up to me and he says, son, welcome to manhood. Uh, but all that to say, it took a little bit of courage to do something that I didn't think could happen, especially whenever it first ended up in my mouth and I thought there's no way this thing is going down my throat. Uh, either way, 20 times in scripture, we see these words, be strong and of good courage. 20 times. Um, I tell my daughter, to stop doing something 20 times, and she doesn't seem to listen. Uh, God told us 20 different times for a reason. If he told us 20 different times, it's probably because we're going to need a little courage in the Christian life. Uh, I get the idea that God puts a value on a Christian that has some courage. There are a lot of Christians in our world today who are living like cowards, unfortunately. Uh, and this was even true in Bible times. We know the story of Gideon. In Judges chapter 7, verse 3, the Bible says, Now therefore go to... Proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. 
And there returned to the people 20 and 2,000, and there remained yet 10,000. More than two-thirds of the army turned back because they were afraid. Now, these are soldiers. These are men who have seen battle. These are supposedly the best of the best, and two-thirds of them left because they were cowards. I get the feeling that God wants us to have some courage. Uh, Christians today, too many times, are too scared to take a stand on the Bible, too scared to stand up for what is right, too scared to say no to the temptations, too cowardly to set the example, too weak to serve the Lord. Um, I had some great examples in my life that taught me that at some point, you're going to have to dig down deep. You're going to have a little intestinal fortitude to stop and say, no, I will serve God. I will honor what God has given me, and I will do what is right. Although we have some Christians who are like that today. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 10. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. It's a fact of life that throughout your life, people will try to derail you. People will try to steer you off course from doing what is right. From doing the will of God, people will try to pull you off to the side, and you won't have the courage to consent thou not if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. To say no to the temptation is going to require some courage. Uh, I think of a soldier that I had the brief honor of knowing. Uh, His name was Woody Williams. If you watched the news in the past couple weeks, you might have heard his name. Uh, He was the 21st Marines, 3rd Marine Division, passed away uh, on June 29th of this year. He was a war hero who accomplished much in the face of danger in World War II. Now, Woody Williams did not walk straight out of his living room onto the battlefield at random and face a war with bravery. That that doesn't just happen by accident. It's not that courage is instilled in some and not in others. No, he, he, before he reached that battlefield, he went through boot camp. He went through basic training. He had many various exercises that he had completed long before he got to that battlefield. His preparation and his training gave him courage to face the battle. He once said, he said, in truth, battles are not won in the battlefield. They're won in boot camp by learning the things that you're supposed to do in the battlefield. You see, Woody was just an average young man, but when duty called, he found himself on the tiny little island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean named Iwo Jima. And as the Marines landed on the shores, the armored tanks failed to clear a path through the oncoming machine gun fire from the Japanese Army. So Woody volunteered his service. Now think about what he's, what he's doing here. He's volunteering to take the place of a tank. Uh, I don't have that kind of courage. Uh, But that's exactly what he did. His weapon was a flamethrower. It was now Woody's responsibility to be on the front lines and to clear a pathway for the infantry to come behind soon after. This is the definition of being on the front lines, facing all of the Japanese army, seemingly. To fail at his job would mean certain death for those who followed behind. He had no option but to muster up some courage and to be brave. To start, Woody had a large company of men that were protecting him and laying down cover fire. And one by one, they all died, leaving him to take on seemingly the entire Japanese army by himself. Despite the fact that hundreds of men died all around him, Woody continued to blaze a trail through the terrific enemy fire, returning five different times to refuel his weapon. And five different times, he returned to the battle and pressed on bravely in the fight, leading the charge. Woody Williams saved countless lives that day because... He was willing to blaze a trail for others to follow because he had enough courage and his actions were above and beyond the call of duty. And because of that, 
He received the highest award that you can possibly receive in all of the armed forces. He received the Medal of Honor. Now, Woody Williams did not receive the Medal of Honor because he woke up one morning and decided to be brave. No, Woody Williams had been preparing for that battle for a long, long time. Because you see, Christian, when the battle comes, when the great temptation is upon you, and when you are facing the trials of life, it's too late to start preparing. You've got to start preparing now. You're not going to have courage in the day of battle if you wait until the day of battle to be ready. You have to start preparing now. You can call it Christian boot camp if you want, but it's time that you start proving yourself now. So this is my question. What are you doing right now to help you to be victorious in your Christian life? It's not something that happens by accident, and it's not something that occurs within a single day. It's something that happens over a long course and period of time. You see, God has great plans for each of us, greater than being a Medal of Honor recipient, greater than being someone that's famous. Maybe God wants somebody to be a preacher, a missionary, a Sunday school teacher, a godly parent, a soul winner, a bus worker, somebody to work in the nursing home. God is calling you to do something, and if you don't have courage, you will not be able to fulfill the will of God in your own life. And if you're not careful, you will allow fear to dictate your actions of life. Uh, I've been told before, oh, your Christianity is just a crutch. You just do that because you need something to lean on. But oh, I say it's quite the opposite. You see, my Christianity gives me courage to do what is right. Without courage, you cannot be a good Christian. And you know, it's okay to be scared. It's okay to have some fear. And if I'm honest, it scares me to stand up and preach. If I'm honest, it scares me to stand up and teach in the high school. If I'm honest, I was scared to death whenever God called me to work in the ministry. But you know what? That doesn't mean you allow your fear to dictate your actions. Fear alone does not make you a coward. It's letting that fear control you and keep you from reaching your potential for God. We have a lot of Christians who are not reaching their potential in our world today, not because the potential is not there, but because they're too fearful to do what is right. So the question tonight is, will you be courageous or will you be a coward? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for another opportunity to be in church. Lord, I pray that this will be a help to those who hear it. Lord, I pray that you would be with the many that are out of town. Keep them safe. Bring them back to us quickly. In your name we pray. Amen. If you would now turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter number 17. Have you ever heard of the song, Only a Boy Named David? Has anybody ever heard that one? That was one of my all-time favorite songs growing up. Only a boy named David, only a little sling, only a boy named David, but he could pray and sing. Only a boy named David, only a little brook, only a boy named David, and five little stones he took. And one little stone went in the sling, and the sling went round and round, and eventually, I won't sing it for you because you would be scarred. Eventually, the song ends with Goliath being killed. We all know the story of David and Goliath. People who have never set foot in church know the story of David and Goliath. And we're going to look at this young man, David, and we're going to learn how David prepared himself to be strong and of good courage so that we might do the same. So, 1 Samuel chapter 17, we're going to read a few verses here to start off with, starting in verse number 2. The Bible says, And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side. And there was a valley between them. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. And he had an helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. 
And he had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and one bearing a shield went before him. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are ye come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine and ye servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. If ye be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we might fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now, we won't take the time to study out everything, but I do want to point out that Goliath was a giant. This is not a metaphor. This is not a picture. He was somewhere between nine and a half and ten feet tall. This was a large man, and if you uh, look at the weight, his armor alone weighed 166 pounds. Uh, that's more than I weighed when I graduated high school. Imagine if your clothes weighed 166 pounds. Goliath was a big and a very strong man. Now skip down to verse 11. When Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now look at verse 24. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. Now answer this question in your mind. Were Saul and his men courageous or cowards? Well, according to the Bible, they were cowards. There was a man who came and when put forth uh, the battle to them and said, hey, one-on-one, -on -one, we're going to take this down, which that's a whole message in and of itself when they had a whole army. Either way, the champion of Gath, as the Bible calls him, came and he started defying the Lord. He started cursing the Lord. He started cursing the armies of Israel, and they were all scared. That Not a one of them stopped to think, you know what, we got the Lord on our side. We can do this. Not a one of them stopped to think, you know what, we should probably stop this man from doing this. No one was willing to stand. For 40 days, the Bible says, they sat in fear, allowing this giant to defile their God. For 40 days, too scared to stand up for what is right. For 40 days, too scared to claim the promises of God. For 40 days, too scared to protect the honor of their home, their country, and their God. For 40 days. If I had somebody on my doorstep for 40 days harassing me, I would like to think at some point I would want to do something about it. It takes a coward to sit there and do nothing about it when God's name is being defiled. But because of this, God uses the most unlikely of people to defeat this giant. We know the story. He uses David. Now I'll skip down to verse number 50. I know you're getting your Bible reading in tonight. Verse number 50. The Bible says, So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. Now, how did David, a boy with no training, how was he able to defeat a literal giant who was a champion of war? But you see, David did have training. David had been preparing for this day for a long time, the same training that you and I will need if we will have the courage to do the will of God. So we're going to look very quickly at three different ways in which David was training to have courage in the day of battle. And the first thing I want to look at, number one, is David followed orders. David followed orders. You see, every good soldier first learns how to follow 
orders. What was Woody Williams doing when he fought so bravely and earned the Medal of Honor? Well, as he says, he was inside of a small little crater that had been created uh, from all of the shelling that had happened on Iwo Jima. And his commanding officer comes down and says, Woody, you think you can lead the way? And he said, well, I'll do my best. And so you know what he did? He followed orders. And he took his flamethrower and he blazed a trail for the Marines to follow that would ultimately lead to our conquering of that small little island. You see, some people will never be used by God and never fulfill his calling in their life because they cannot follow orders. It's very basic, very simple. From the time that we are old enough to get into trouble, people are telling us what to do. And yet, from the time that we end up in the grave, we still have a problem with following orders. That's our flesh. That's our sin nature. David followed orders when he tended his father's sheep. Look at verse 15. But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Now, think about the position that David's in here. David wasn't complaining that feeding the sheep and taking care of the sheep was not his duty. It was his father's sheep. All of his brothers are gone to the battle. And I'm sure that when his brothers are there, typically his brothers are probably the one who do most of the work in watching the sheep because that is their livelihood. David is the youngest. They're not going to put their livelihood in the hands of their youngest one. So as his brothers go off, we don't find David griping that it's unfair that now he has all the chores when his brothers are gone. I know what that's like. I'm the youngest of six. Seemingly, every time one of them left the house, I just got more and more and more chores. Uh, David didn't complain. David didn't gripe. David followed orders. He did what he was told. David also followed orders when he brought food to his brothers. Look at verse 17. And Jesse said unto David his son, Take now for thy brethren an ephah of this parched corn and these ten loaves, and run to the camp to thy brethren, and carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand. And look how thy brethren fare, and take their pledge. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. And David rose up early in the morning, and left the sheep with the keeper, and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight, and shouted for the battle. So let's stop and think for a second. David not only has to watch the sheep. So imagine David, I don't know, he's in his room playing video games or maybe he's outside playing. I don't know what he was doing. Either way, his father comes to him and says, David, your brothers are going off to war. I need you to watch the sheep. David doesn't complain. Then he goes out and he meets David in the field and he says, no, by the way, David, while you're watching these sheep, I also need you to take the long trip to go deliver this food to your brothers. So David now is left with a bit of a conundrum. How does he watch the sheep and leave at the same time? You see, David is now starting to have things pile up on him. We don't find David screaming that this isn't fair like probably most of us would in that situation. You ever been in that uh, spot at work where somebody, your boss comes up and says, oh, hey, I need you to do this. Oh, by the way, I need you to do this too. And you're thinking, I can't do two things at once. Pick one and I'll do that one. Uh, That's probably about how David is feeling. But David just follows orders. And so he delivers his food to his brothers, and it didn't matter that his brothers were not appreciative. In fact, if you read in the Bible, his brothers made fun of him. They assumed that David had neglected his responsibility of watching the sheep. Uh, isn't it great whenever you're talking to somebody and they just assume that you're a terrible person? Uh, that's probably about how David felt. That didn't deter him from following orders. He was serving the people who were putting him down who were ridiculing him. David stayed a servant. David continued to follow orders. They were angry with David. They accused him of being naughty and proud, and yet David did not allow it to deter him. It takes courage to do what is right. It takes a little bit of courage to serve the people who really, yes, they want to be served, but maybe not by you, or maybe they think less of you. Uh, those are the people that you still have to serve. 2 Timothy 3.12 
Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now, I read that because when we read that, we assume, yep, the world's going to persecute us. Yep, the world's going to be against us. We're going to have some opposition. But don't hide in cowardice when it's your friends. Don't hide in cowardice when it's your peers that are hindering you from the work of God. Don't hide in cowardice when sometimes it's a brother or sister in Christ that is the one that is pulling you down. That's whenever possibly it takes the most courage is when people that you trusted, people that you believed in are the ones who are now seemingly to be fighting you. That's when it takes the most courage. You have to have courage to follow God's order. You see, David followed orders despite the opposition and despite the fact that the opposition came from his own family. David also followed orders when King Saul sent for him. You see, David's got a lot on his plate. He's watching his father's sheep. He's bringing food to his brothers despite their attitude. And now the king is adding to it. The king hears of David and he hears how David shouted for the battle. And he's like, whoa, somebody with some courage. Let's bring him down into my tent because I want to see where is this courage coming from. David's not complaining. David could have said, no, 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 king. I'm already serving my brothers. They already made me upset. I already made a deal for another guy to watch the sheep, and I got to get back to relieve him of his duty. Otherwise, he's going to be upset with me. My father's going to be upset with me. We don't read that, do we? Instead, we see David saying, yes, sir, clicking his heels and going straight to the tent of the king. Now, here's the question. Why is it so important to follow orders? You see, David thought that he was just delivering bread and cheese and corn that day. He had no idea that God was using him to deliver a great victory. Many times, great victories in the Christian life are disguised as you doing the mundane tasks that we take for granted. If you're not faithful to do the small things, don't be surprised when God doesn't use you to have great victories. David, because he learned to follow orders, even the smallest things, even despite the opposition, because think about it, David could have said, it's not worth the ridicule to give them bread. I'll just keep it for myself. In fact, I'll eat it myself. My dad will never know the difference. They won't know that all that's left is this parched corn. But that's not what David did. David followed orders to the T. And he had no idea that God would use him to have a great victory. You see, the Lord used David because he was obedient. Now listen to me, Christian. You may think that you can see the big picture of your life. You think you know how your life is going to turn out. And if you make decisions based off of what you think is best, and you don't learn to follow orders... God will never be able to use you to deliver a great victory. David followed orders. Point number two, David was familiar with his weapons, familiar with his weapons. Look now at verse number 32, verse number 32. The Bible says, and David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him, and smote him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, and smote him, and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, go, and the Lord be with thee. And Saul armed David with his armor, and he put a helmet of brass upon his head. Also he armed with a coat of mail. And David gird his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off him. 
And he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had, even in a scrip, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. So Saul tells David, he says, now, David, this is the best, this is the nicest, this is the newest armor around. Use this. This will help you to defeat Goliath. David, take my sword. This sword is the largest, it's the sharpest in the land. This, if anything, will help you to defeat Goliath. You see, David had the nicest, the newest, the most advanced and up-to-date weapons available and at his disposal, but he knew that to use these weapons in this armor would mean certain death. Why? Because he must use the weapons that he was familiar with. You see, I've handled swords, I've handled knives enough to know that without proper care and attention, it's more a danger to yourself than a help. You see, David had used his sling in battle with a lion and smote him. David had used his sling against a bear and slew him. He had proven his weapon. A soldier handles a gun so much in training that eventually it becomes like an extension of himself. He fires it, holds it, cleans it, learns it, handles it until he has proven it and is familiar with that weapon. When Woody Williams fought so bravely on Iwo Jima, he was receiving enemy fire on the three tanks of his flamethrower that he had on his back. The two large tanks he carried contained the fuel, and the much smaller tank in between them was a pressure tank. Now, if that pressure tank was shot, then it would have basically turned himself into a human bomb, and he would have died instantly. However, knowing this, Woody found a way to twist his body so that when the oncoming fire came, they would hit the fuel tanks, which were virtually bulletproof, and whenever he shot, they would not hit the pressure tank because the Japanese knew hitting that pressure tank would not just kill him, but everyone around him. So they wanted that pressure tank. Now, because Woody was familiar with his weapon, he didn't die that day. Now, many men who had used the flamethrower died, but Woody had proven and spent time with his weapon before the battle so that when the battle came, he was familiar with his weapon. And before Woody Williams was ever at Iwo Jima, he was preparing to fight in Guadalcanal when a shipment of these flamethrowers arrived. He'd never seen this before, didn't know what it was, didn't know how to use it. There were no directions, there were no instructions, just weapons in a box. So he was commanded to lead a special weapons unit using these flamethrowers. So before he led his men into battle, not knowing or ignorant of how these weapons worked, he spent time learning the weapon so that when the day of battle came, he would be ready. First Thessalonians 5.21, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. Um, at all times in your life, you, could, you should consider yourself as being at a proving time in your life. You have to work to become familiar with your weapon. It doesn't happen on accident. You don't become a good marksman on accident. Uh, you don't uh, become familiar with your weapon by setting it off to the side and never touching it again. The Bible is as a two-edged sword. You know the devil is scared of this book? You know that? This is your weapon to be used in spiritual warfare. This book is holy. It is alive. It is powerful. Uh, and if I were to ask you if you believe that and I ask for a raise of hand, I believe every hand would go up. But here's a question. Have you proven that to be true in your own life? It's good to hear the stories of others. It's good to hear how other people tell you, oh, this book is great and it's alive and it's powerful. But prove it to yourself. Prove it in your own life. God wants to be proven by you but how much proving are you doing in your life? Are you familiar with the weapons? God said, come boldly unto the throne of grace in prayer. Have you proven your prayer life? When's the last time that you had a burden and instead of running to 
the credit card company you ran to God? When's the last time that you had a burden instead of running to your comfort food, your safe space, your gossip group, you ran to the Lord? You spent time on your knees proving God in prayer. You see, don't lose sight of the fact that we have an enemy that cannot be defeated if we are not familiar with our own weapons. 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Now listen, the devil would love nothing more than to see you put your Bible on the shelf for a week and never touch it. The devil would be hysterically happy if you never had the courage to pray. The devil would love to destroy your life. He's good at it. He's got a lot of experience doing it. And the, the thing is, as many times we know it, we're just not willing to put forth the time to be familiar enough with our weapons to defeat him. There will come a day when you will need courage to stay true to the things of God. And that courage does not come by accident. It comes because of time that you have spent proving the weapons that God has given to you. Because one day, when someone like King Saul tries to convince you to lower your standards, tries to convince you to weaken your grip on the truth, tries to convince you to use a perversion of the Bible, you will be able to, with confidence, have the courage to do what is right. In 2 Samuel, we won't take the time to read it, but in 2 Samuel, we read of a man named Eleazar, whom the Lord used to be a great victory because his hand clave to the sword. How tight is your grip on your weapon tonight? How familiar are you with your weapon? You won't be successful in the Christian life if you have not spent time with the weapons that God has given you. You need courage as a Christian. You need courage for soul winning. You need courage for teaching. You need courage for God's will. You need courage to overcome trials. You need courage to be a leader. You need courage to be a godly parent. In all things of the Christian life, it takes courage to overcome. Ephesians 6.13 Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. We had an amazing Sunday school lesson that came straight from that verse on Sunday morning. Um, you will not be able to withstand within the evil day if you don't take some time and prepare by being familiar with your weapons. If you want courage to stand, you got to be familiar with your weapons. The church today, by and large, is almost like an army of four- and five-year-olds. There's, there's no army that we could defeat uh, you have to take time with your weapons because we're losing our nation. And our nation is being lost not because of the actions of lost people, but because of the actions of Christians who are not familiar with the Bible and not familiar with prayer. The devil is having a field day destroying homes, decimating churches, and ruining lives because Christians are too cowardly to prove their weapons. Pick up your weapon, Christian. Prove it. The day of battle is coming. So courageous or coward? Well, what did David do? He followed orders. He was familiar with his weapons. And thirdly and lastly, David had faith in God. Look at verse number 37. David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. Now skip down to verse 45. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. 
But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee. And I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. You see, David is not like a chihuahua that is yip-yapping at the foot of a pit bull here. David has confidence, but it is not falsely placed. David's confidence is not in himself. You see, David knew, he understood that he was just a boy. So how then did David stand up against the Philistine of Gath? How did he stand up against the army and say, I will defeat you? In fact, I'm going to give your carcasses to the birds. That takes some courage. Well, I'll tell you this, it wasn't in the army behind him. They had already proven themselves to be cowards. And David, David, yes, he was familiar with his weapon, but that's not what his faith was in. That was just the tool that would be used. David's faith was in God. So let me ask this question. How is your faith in God tonight? Is it enough to be able to take on the trials of your life? You see, we have a lot of unanswered questions as we go through life. Does your faith in God give you the answer to those questions, or do you search around for an earthly answer to your questions. I'm sure if I asked for a show of hands, we would all raise them and say, oh yeah, sure, Brother Jackson, I have faith in God. Then surrender to his will. Say, God, whatever you want with my life, you can have it. What happened to the days when people were willing to uproot their life to follow the will of God? God's call to preach and surrender to his will does not ring out only to the teenager and the young person. It rings out to every age group. God's call to the mission field does not apply only to certain people. It applies to anyone who is willing to listen to the call of God. Are we willing to surrender? How's your faith in God tonight? It's not easy to uproot your life. It's not easy to go outside of your comfort zone. It requires faith. But we have too many Christians who are acting like cowards. They're not willing to do the will of God. It requires courage. Now, we have faith in God for our next meal, as long as we got a paycheck coming in from work. But do we have faith in God for our life to the point that if God asks us to leave behind everything that we know and love, we could and would say, yes, God, I'll go. You see, that requires courage. But listen to me, when we're on God's side, we cannot fail. Where we're in the middle of God's will, we're in the best place we can possibly be. It was important that David have faith in God because there were other people who needed to know that God is real. Look at verse 46 at the end of the verse that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Now listen, Christian, lost people are depending on you to surrender to God's will so that someday you will cross paths with them and you can lead them to Christ. If you don't have the courage to have faith in God, could it be that there will be church buses that will never run because you don't have the courage to have faith in God? If you don't have the courage to do what's right, your children will grow up in a home with parents who are Christian cowards. Without the courage to have faith in God, there are ministries that will never reach their full potential. If you are a coward, a pulpit somewhere someday may sit empty. A teacher's lectern may go unused. A nursing home full of people dying to love and be loved will go neglected. The lost will die and go to hell because of Christians who are too cowardly to follow the will of God. How is your faith in God tonight? If God calls you to it, God can get you through it. But you got to have faith in God to stand up and say, I'm going to do what's right. What did David do? Number one, he followed orders. Number two, he was familiar with his weapons. Number three, he had faith in God. Now, did it work? I would say so. 
I would say it worked. Look at verse 48. And it came to pass, this is my favorite verse in this whole story, when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistines. Now listen, no one runs to fight a giant without courage. I got in a lot of scuffles with my brothers growing up. Very few times do I remember running excited to get into a fight. David is literally running at the entire Philistine army, ready to take on this Philistine, this giant. Where does that kind of courage come from? Well, David was not just running toward Goliath. The Bible says he ran toward the army. Therefore, it leads me to believe that David said, hey, if I got to, I'll do it all by myself. You know, it wouldn't be the first time in the Bible that God used one man to take down a large host. Uh, I think of the verse where it says, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Uh, Last time I checked, gates are still stationary. Gates don't move. That gives me the understanding that the church should be charging the gates of hell. But that doesn't happen if we don't have courage. That doesn't happen if we don't have faith in God to stand up and to do what is right. Where do you get this kind of courage? David did not win the battle in the Valley of Elah. No, that might have been where the action took place, but the battle was won long before when he made the decision to put his faith in God and to be strong and of good courage. What battles could be in your future? I don't know. You don't know that. God knows. But I tell you this, you can't overcome them if you have some godly courage. You see, all three parts were needed for David to succeed. Following orders led David to the right place. If David thought that the obedience was too menial, if that task was too mundane, he never would have been on the battlefield to begin with. It was just by happenstance that he ended up there. In our eyes, God knew what he was doing. What is it that God's calling you to do? And you say, oh, no, that's too small. I'm I'm waiting for something better or bigger, something that's worth my time. Obey God in the small things. It'll lead you to the right place. Being familiar with his weapon gave David the means of victory. Uh, You can do the right things, but if you're not familiar in proving the Bible and prayer life, then guess what? You're not going to be able to have victory even if you're in the right place. And lastly, his faith in God gave David the boldness to follow through. David could have been there. He could have been great with his sling, but if he didn't have faith in God, he wouldn't have walked out and charged that giant. But because he had faith in God, God used him to deliver a great victory. Listen to me, Christian. God wants to use you to deliver great victories in your life and in the lives of those who are around you. You only have one life. Don't live it being a coward. So the question tonight is this, courageous or coward? The decision is ours. Let's choose wisely.